From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. A new drug for people with Alzheimer's disease was approved by the FDA recently, but the approval has been controversial. Here to help us understand why is Dr. Sharon Brangman. She's the Chief of Geriatrics at Upstate and a former president of the American Geriatrics Society. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Brangman. Oh, thanks for inviting me. Now, I imagine you're getting many questions about Adyahelm from patients and their loved ones. What are you telling them? So what we're telling them is that the drug is not available yet and that the drug requires a set of guidelines that we're working on establishing. It also requires us to coordinate care across different specialties from the neuroradiologists who have to read the MRIs to infusion centers where the person would get the medication. And this all takes time to set up. This is a medicine that's brand new. Uh, we don't have clear indif- indication yet on how well it works in buying people more time. And that's what people really want with a disease like Alzheimer's disease. Now, is that what Adyahelm, this, this new medication, is that what it's supposed to do? Just postpone a, a person's demise? So this is a drug that's in the category of new medications that attack the amyloid plaque that builds up in the brain. And amyloid plaque is the sticky protein. If you can think of the nerves in the brain like a delicate spider web, this protein gets in there and clumps up all those delicate nerves. And the drug is very good at removing that amyloid plaque. The next step is to see once that plaque is removed, is that keeping someone's brain healthier? Is it stopping Alzheimer's disease? And is it giving them a benefit of living disease-free? And that's the part we don't know yet. So we know that it's very good at removing the plaque and that's what the FDA approved it. The FDA approved it because it's good at removing the plaque, but we're just short of that next step. Let me ask you a little more about the um, amyloid plaque. Is Does everyone have this or does everyone develop it as they age? So um, there is a strong correlation between the buildup of, the, of this plaque and the development of Alzheimer's disease. Of course, that doesn't mean everybody with plaque is gonna get Alzheimer's disease. And we know that there are some people without plaque who get Alzheimer's disease. But there's a strong correlation that if you have memory problems and if you have this amyloid plaque, it's very likely to be Alzheimer's disease. What does it do to the brain or does it do anything to affect the brain tissue? Well, having amyloid in the brain is not a normal event. So the science and the research has been trying to figure out the chicken or the egg question. Is Alzheimer's disease caused by having this amyloid there? Or does Alzheimer's disease start and then amyloid comes in? And there's a lot of debate about what comes first. But we do know that if you have amyloid and you have memory problems, your chances of having Alzheimer's disease increases significantly. What we're trying to find out now is if you remove that amyloid, is there a benefit in slowing down the disease process? Now, how do you know if someone has amyloid? 
So the way that we can tell right now is by doing a special kind of brain scan called a PET scan with a dye that would help the amyloid light up in the brain. They are working on other ways of looking at amyloid. So you can also get a spinal tap because we know that this amyloid protein is in the spinal fluid. And they're also working on a blood test because the amyloid is present also in the blood. But these tests are not ready yet. The spinal tap is available, but not too many people wanna get a spinal tap. And the blood test would be very nice and convenient because people are used to getting blood tests and it's quick and easy, but it's not ready yet for mass use. It's still just in the research stages. So right now, the only way we can really tell if somebody has this amyloid plaque is with a PET scan. And that is a test that Medicare has not paid for to date. If you don't have amyloid in, in your brain, taking this medicine doesn't really make sense. So we want to make sure that we're giving it to people who actually have amyloid and something for this drug to work on. Now, what does amyloid plaque have to do with another protein called tau, T-A-U? So tau and amyloid are connected because tau also builds up in the brain, and that also disrupts some of the delicate nerves and tubules and passageways in the brain so that the signals don't have anywhere to go and those cells die. So there are some drugs that are also targeted toward tau. And it's possible at some point in the future, people are gonna take a combination of medications. They may take an amyloid uh, buster, they may take a tau buster, they may take a medicine for inflammation, they may take another medicine to make their brain more sensitive to sugars. It's, it's we're in the very early stages of finding uh, treatments for this very complex disease. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Sharon Brangman, the Chief of Geriatrics at Upstate, about the new Alzheimer's drug that was recently approved by the FDA. Now, what did the clinical trials tell us about the effectiveness of this medication? So the clinical trials were stopped initially because they didn't see any benefit. And then the drug company went back and looked at the the data again and thought saw some benefit, but by then the trial had stopped. As I mentioned, this drug is very good at removing the amyloid and the trial was stopped because it didn't show any improvement in brain function. But then when they went back and looked at the data, they saw something that suggested that there may be some improvement in brain function. Normally what would happen is that you would start the trial again and look at this improvement or not to see if it was there. But the FDA decided that they would do an accelerated approval, which means they recognize that this uh, drug removes the amyloid plaque. So the, the drug company, which in this case is Biogen, now has nine years to show if the drug is affected, effective so that there's going to be ongoing studies to see if the drug is actually effective. 
Well, if I understand correctly, Adyahelm was approved by the FDA after advisory committee recommended against approving it. And then after it was approved, three physicians from that advisory committee resigned in protest. How unusual is something like that? So that's pretty unusual. The FDA sets up groups of advisors to help them uh, study the, the data and the information about different drugs. And the FDA is not obliged to listen to the advisory committee, and but in most cases they do. Or if the advisory committee might have a split decision, the FDA steps in and makes the final decision. But it's pretty unusual when the advisory committee essentially says this drug shouldn't be approved for the FDA to go ahead and approve it. So this is an unusual situation. Now, before the trial, the clinical trial was ended, do you think it included adequate numbers of African-American, Asian, and Latino patients? So this clinical trial, just like many of the trials in the United States, do not have representative groups of people this trial was this drug was essentially tried on on uh, Caucasians, white people, um, but very few African Americans, very few Asians, and very few Latinos. But this, as I said, unfortunately, is part of our sad truth in this country because we have not looked at drugs in people who actually are more impacted by the disease. So the irony here is that African-Americans are two times more likely to get Alzheimer's disease and Latinos are one and a half times more likely. So um, I have to look at this drug and say, is it worth a try in people who it wasn't really tested on? Now we do not know if the drug would be different in people because they have a different racial background because as you know, race is really just a social construct. It's something that humans made up to put people in certain groups. It doesn't necessarily have a biological basis or a genetic basis. And so on that front, you would think that there shouldn't be much difference because the color of your skin doesn't affect your biology. But it's really past the point where we should be guessing. We should have information so that we can make informed decisions no matter what our race is. We shouldn't be guessing at this point in time in medical care. So that is a concern, and that is a concern with many of the clinical trials in this country. Well, who is this drug designed for? Is it for the early stage uh, Alzheimer's patient or the late stage? And is it indicated for other forms of dementia? So this drug, was tested on people who had mild cognitive impairment, which is a type of memory loss that isn't quite Alzheimer's disease yet, but has a high chance of developing into Alzheimer's. And it was also tested on people who have mild Alzheimer's disease. However, the FDA gave approval for anyone with Alzheimer's disease to try this drug. And we don't have any information that this would help people who are moderate or advanced. So I don't think it would be appropriate for moderate or advanced people to take this medication. I think it would be uh, more appropriate for it to be used on the people who it's tested on, meaning the mild cognitive impairment and mild Alzheimer's disease. We also do not have any information on how this would work in other forms of dementia. So as you may know, Alzheimer's disease is the most common form of dementia in our country. 
But there are other kinds of dementia, such as Lewy body, vascular dementia, Parkinson's disease. We even hear about football players who get dementia from lots of head trauma. But this was only tested in people with Alzheimer's disease, so there's really no indication that it would help other types of dementia. How is it taken? Is it, is it a pill or an injection? So this is an IV infusion. Uh, uh, anyone who takes this drug would have to go to a special infusion center where they would give this medication IV. It would take about an hour for it to, to enter the body, and it would be given once a month. And those are some of the details we're trying to work out right now so that we can um, make sure there's enough room in infusion centers for persons who might want to try this medication. Is that why the list price I've read is like $56,000 a year? Is that why it costs so much because you have to go to an infusion center? I have no idea how drugs are priced. That is a mystery to me and that is a whole nother category. But the, the $56,000 is the price for the actual drug. And when you go to an infusion center, there is another cost. And when you get an MRI, there's another cost. So that, again, we're waiting to hear exactly what that might mean for a patient, but there are gonna be a number of co-pays or money they're gonna have to take out of their pocket every time they go for an MRI or an infusion. And that could run about 11 or maybe even $12,000 out of pocket. The cost of the drug would probably be charged to Medicare and most insurance companies follow what Medicare does, but we don't have any information on that right now because we're waiting for Medicare's determination on if they will cover this drug or how much of the price they will cover. So we don't really know what the real cost will be to patients at this time. And that's been another big question that patients have been asking. My concern is that if this is very expensive, that will keep certain people from having access to this medication. And we already know there are a lot of disparities and unequal care based on cost. And it would be terrible to have another situation like that. What about side effects? I read that 40% of people taking Adyahelm in the trial developed painful brain swelling. And that seems like a lot. So the, the information is correct. There are certain um, side effects when you're removing the amyloid plaque from the brain. Some of it is swelling in the brain and it's also, you can get little small hemorrhages. Uh, from my information, the majority of people who get this don't have very serious problems with it. It has to be monitored carefully and the uh, dose of the drug has to either be stopped or adjusted depending on how severe uh, those hemorrhages or the swelling is. The majority of people seem to recover, but again, this is new information that we are trying to figure out right now. Well, thank you so much to Dr. Sharon Brangman. She's the Chief of Geriatrics at Upstate and a former president of the American Geriatrics Society. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and radio talk show, HealthLink on Air.